In the name of Jesus. Amen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Today we meditate upon the temptation of Christ, our dear Savior, who fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness alone. He was tempted directly by the devil at his very weakest point, at Jesus' weakest uh, point, he was tempted. This, we see this showdown between God and Satan in the wilderness. And the outcome, the outcome uh, in, in question is this. Jesus was tempted in the most severe way, and yet he did not sin. Not for one second, not one idle word or thought crossed his mind. Uh, not one impure desire coursed through his veins. None. There was no lust. There was no sinful anger. There was, uh, in, in, in place of that, it was only faithfulness to his Father. Complete and utter and implicit and, and total faithfulness to the Father. He did everything that the Father requires in, in, in the Word. And he kept it purely in thought, word, deed, and in, in desire. He didn't move one inch. So Christ was faithful to the Father for 40 days and 40 nights. And for the rest of his entire life, his entire life, not once did he break any commandment in any way. Jesus, here, here's the thing. Jesus not only did not sin, but he also did not want to sin. Uh, sin to... Christ our Lord is repulsive. It was disgusting to him. So to have another God besides God was a repulsive thought. It would, it would be like trying to convince you to jump headfirst into a sewer. Um, to, th that you would want to do that. You wouldn't want to do that. It's, it's disgusting. It's filthy. In the same way, this is how our Lord views sin. He didn't want to, 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 to be a part of sin in any way, in thought uh, or word or deed. So, so far I've told you that Jesus did not even want to sin, and Jesus did not sin, but there is something else. It's not only that he did not sin, but it is that he could not sin. He could not sin. It was impossible for him to sin. It is not in his nature to sin. He has no potential to sin. Uh, he's unable to sin. And, and, and th this is why. Jesus is God. God cannot sin. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus cannot sin. Um, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus could sin, then he would change. And if he changed, then he wouldn't be God. God cannot change. This, in, in theology, we call this the impeccability of Christ. It's not simply that he does not sin, but that he cannot sin. Now, with that being said, <clears throat> this has been held by the church for uh, forever. Uh, this is what the church has taught, and this is what the scriptures clearly teach uh, throughout. Now, I know that there's an objection that comes up, and the objection is this. Well, okay, if Jesus couldn't sin then it must not have been a real temptation, right? It must have been a fake temptation or pretend. 
And Jesus, because he cannot sin, doesn't understand temptation like you and I do. Because we, we sin and we fall into it. But he couldn't sin, so he doesn't really get it the way you and I get it. So I have a couple responses to this. First is this. We have to make a distinction between sin and temptation. Sin is breaking God's law. And temptation is the pressure or the, the force, the, the gravity, the, the, um, yeah, the, the outside pressure to break God's law. So these are two different things, sinning and then being tempted. There's a, there's a force that comes upon this. Jesus, we know, uh, was tempted and yet was without sin. Hebrews 4.15, you, you heard it in the epistle lesson, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and was yet without sin. So there's this distinction here between the two. I think the reason you and I have such difficulty understanding this uh, is because is we don't really know the difference between temptation and sin. Because as soon as we're tempted, we end up wanting the thing that we are tempted to in our hearts already, and then we've already sinned. Uh, so there's no, there's no gap between these things. That We have the temptation, and then already in our heart we're sinning. We've sinned in our heart. We're already complicit in this. Um, and and we're, we're joined along with this. But Jesus somehow is tempted and yet never wanted, this, never wanted to sin in his heart. And this is something that uh, you and I can talk about the difference, but I don't know if we actually understand this. I don't, I've never felt that. I've never experienced that, to be tempted and not sin in my heart. Um, even with the temptation alone, I've fallen into the sin. But Jesus does know the difference. He knows the difference between being tempted and sin itself. And he can see it clearly, though, in a way that you and I can't. Now, that's the first point, that there is a difference between sin and temptation. But there's the second point uh, to this objection. The objection that, look, if Jesus couldn't sin, then he doesn't really know the greatness of temptation. My response here is this. Actually, it's because he could not sin... That he knows the full weight of temptation to a degree that you and I never will. He knows temptation better than you and I ever could. Christ knows the full weight and pressure and gravity of temptation. All of it. This is kind of hard to think about, but I will uh, try to explain this through an analogy. And this is an analogy I've used over the past, I think, two or three years. Uh, If you've heard it before, bear with me. But I'm going to keep using this analogy until I come up with a better one. Um, This analogy is is this. Imagine that there is, here where the font is, there's a massive abyss there. It just plummets down miles, miles down. Uh, Anyone who falls in dies immediately. There's no hope for you. And imagine then that I uh, picked three of you and I told you to hang from this truss or from that beam up there. You have to hang from your hands. It's a competition. You're hanging above the abyss here, that big hole. And uh, as you're hanging there, I take weights and I give you a belt. Each one of you has a belt. There's three guys there. And on this belt has hooks and I add a little bit of more weight to each one of you, up to 200 pounds. That's, that's what the belt holds. <clears throat> 
So the first guy I, who's hanging there, I put uh, 10 pounds and his hands start shaking and then 20 pounds, 30, 40, and 50 and he can't take it anymore and his hands tremble and he lets go and he falls down in the abyss. Uh, the second guy goes up and I do the same thing, uh, up to 50 pounds, 60, he's screaming in agony, his hands are burning, he doesn't want to, he's holding on for dear life, he's sweating, 70, 80, 90 pounds, 100 pounds, and then his hands give out and he falls in. And then the third guy, he's holding on and I put 50 pounds, and then 100 pounds, and he's holding on for dear life, he's sweating, uh, uh, 120 pounds. 150 pounds, he's screaming in agony, holding on. Uh, 180, 190, 200 pounds. And then the belt breaks and it falls down and he's safe. Okay, that, that's the analogy. My question is, of those three, who suffered the longest? Which one carried the most weight? Which one experienced the most pain? Is it the one who gave up at 50 pounds? Or the one who gave up at 100 or so pounds? Or the one who held on the entire time and never let go? It's the one who never gave up. The one who never gave in. The one who endured it all. He knows what 200 pounds of pressure feels like on his body. The other two don't know. They have no idea. They gave up too soon. He knows the full weight. This is the point. Jesus knows the full weight and gravity of temptation. Because he did not give in to temptation. He resisted it to the end. The point I'm getting at is this. <clears throat> you cannot fully understand the gravity of temptation or the gravity of the temptation to sin by engaging in sin. You can't. There's this erroneous idea, this misconception that says this, <clears throat> that if we engage in or if we experiment with sin, we have some deeper existential understanding of sin and temptation. And I understand what temptation is better because I've fallen into this sin. And so because of that, I understand grace better. I understand forgiveness better. I understand all these things better. There are churches that have been taught this. That believe that they have called pastors who have fallen into public and manifest sins. That have removed them from the office of the holy ministry. They've been defrocked because of scandals. And they were taught some scandal of uh, drugs or absconding funds or uh, addictions, things like this. And they think, they've been taught that, well, because of this, uh, this man can teach better. He has a better understanding of grace. He has a better understanding of temptation than anybody else does. He has a better understanding of Jesus and his forgiveness than those who never gave in to temptation to begin with. And that is completely wrong. That's not true. If that were true, follow the logic, then could Christ sympathize with us or understand what we're going through because he did not sin? No, he, he, we, wouldn't have a, we would have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. 
But the scriptures say he is able to sympathize with us because he did not give in to sin. But he knows what temptation is like. He knows what the hard part is like. Sin is the easy part. But he knows what, how, how it is to endure temptation. So uh, who understands temptation better? Those who give in to it or those who don't? We who give in to sin, do we understand temptation better or does Jesus understand it better than we do? He does. With, with all this being said, I want to make three important points from this uh, that I'm working towards here. Uh, three points that teach you what Jesus' temptation means for you and why the fact that he could not sin and he was tempted to this degree gives you great comfort. So the first point is this. is that Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows everything you're going through. He knows your suffering and your pain and your temptation. He knows it not just through his omniscience, but he knows it through experience. He knows what it feels like in flesh. Hebrews 4.15, which, which we, I just read, says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He himself was weak too. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. He knows what temptation you faced, because he faced every single one. And he faced all of your temptations to a greater degree than you ever could or will. So don't ever think, nobody knows what I'm going through. Don't ever say that. Don't think, look, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows how tempting this is for me. Jesus does, and he knows it to a greater degree. You are never alone. God always knows. That is a comfort. The second point is this, is that Jesus shows you how to overcome temptation. Uh, he shows you that the way to overcome temptation, even the most severe temptation, is with Holy Scripture itself. He says, it is written to every temptation. Jesus endured this temptation in his flesh. He used Scripture, and you should too. Whenever you're tempted with anything, to do anything, you respond with Holy Scripture. And the third point is this, and this is the main point. That this, the temptation of Christ, is the greatest consolation for the Christian. The greatest one. You saw in the first reading, in the Old Testament uh, reading here, in Genesis chapter 3, you see Adam and Eve who are in the Garden of Eden with the devil. They are in paradise. There is no hunger. There is no thirst. There's perfect weather. Everything is good around them. They were at their strongest point. The devil went and tempted them, and they sinned, and they failed. In the, in the gospel lesson, you see Matthew chapter 4. You see Jesus with the devil alone. He is in the wilderness. He is famished, emaciated, Parched in the heat of the day, Jesus is at his weakest, at his lowest, most vulnerable, vulnerable point in his life. He faced the most severe temptations back to back, and yet he did not fail. He did not sin. He was perfectly righteous. Adam and Eve were at their strongest point, and they fell. 
Christ was at his weakest point and did not sin. And that should give you hope and joy. And it should teach you never, ever, ever, ever to rely upon yourself. Ever. Never rely upon yourself in the midst of temptation or in this life. Don't rely upon yourself or your decision, a decision you made in your life, or your sincerity, or your works, or your willpower, or your strength for your salvation. Never do it. Because even on your best day, even on your best day, you'll fail and fall. Rather, you ought to rely upon only and trust in only and confide only in Christ Jesus, your dear Savior, who kept the law, who suffered the greatest pains known to man, the most profound discomfort, and yet endured it all purely with a righteous heart, all for you, for your sake. That is what your salvation is built upon, upon Christ and not you. You fall into temptation and you fail a thousand times. But Jesus never will, never has, and never can. The devil could not overcome Jesus, but Jesus overcame the devil. His victory is your victory. His righteousness is your righteousness. The devil could not get Jesus to turn from the word, from God himself, from the promises. And that means he cannot get Jesus to turn from you. He cannot tempt him to leave you or forsake you. If he couldn't turn Jesus away from you then, he cannot do it now. He cannot do it in these days. He cannot do it in your sin, no matter how great it may be. The Lord will not turn away from you. Your dear Savior went to suffer for you more than you could ever comprehend. He endured in his flesh more suffering and woe than anyone could ever imagine. He hungered and thirsted more. He opened his flesh. He poured out every ounce of life for you. And he would do it all again a thousand times if he had to. If he had to, you could rely upon him every single one of those times. Every single one knowing that he would never falter or fail or fall. God be praised for his great and glorious blessing upon us that he sent to us our dear Savior to endure all of these assaults from the devil and come out pure and impute his righteousness and purity to you. May God bless you this Lenten season that you would turn your eyes to see his blessed cross and that you would rejoice in the free and full forgiveness you have in Christ. <clears throat> Before closing, hear the words of this hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon, he helps us free from every need that hath us now are taken. The old evil foe now means deadly woe. Deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. With might of ours cannot be done. Soon were our loss effected. But for us, fights 
the valiant one, whom God himself elected. Ask you who this is? Jesus Christ it is. Of Sabaoth, Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.